It's Leah here. Let's talk for a second. Rochelle Page, our dear friend, you know her, you love her. She's an author. If you have not read her, now is the time. The McMahon Clan Alpha has spoken only 99 cents for this four book collection from Rochelle Page. So, seriously, there's four books in this bundle, it's 99 cents. When you hear the names of these books, I swear to God, you're going to click. It's wonderful. Bear the consequences. Bear it all. Bear the burden. And bear your fate. I'm sorry, but if you can't have an entire bear series with punny names, don't come at me. Family grudges, enemies, witchcraft. Nothing will stand in the way of these sexy bear shifters when they find their fated mates. This box set contains all four stories from the McMahon clan. And if I'm saying that wrong, it's Rochelle's fault because she didn't message me back at midnight and answer on how to pronounce that. Go grab it, lady listeners. Rochelle Page has the McMahon clan alpha series. Marked down for 99 cents, four books, one click. Get on it. We'll see you guys in just a second. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, it's another week. Yep. It actually feels like it's been longer for some reason. It does. Well, you know, this is what happens when we normally record on Tuesdays, but the week before we do it on a Monday, and we're like, all of a sudden, we're like, oh my God, it's been forever. It's been literally an extra 24 hours. <laughs> I guess it has. Really, like, it's been forever. Oh my God. What have we been doing? We have so much to talk about. <laughs> Uh, thanks for being with us this week. We are replaying a previously played audiobook, which I think it might be the most popular ever on listened to on the podcast. It's called The Midnight Bride by Katie Wilde, who we love so much. She's got so many great books. And like we said previously, when we played like Dylan Allen's book, for example, or Tessa's one of her original ones in the beginning season, we were broken up into five episodes. So what we're doing with this is instead of making you get a chapter a day, we're condensing it down to two days. And we're going to talk a little longer. So there you go. That's what's up. Oh, I do have the book bio for this one. I pulled it up just so we'd have it. This is so this is one of the best books that we've had on here because it's just so it's so out. Yeah. It's so good. It's so out there. It's also like it's very in line with like Katie's mm-hmm. like crazy alpha hero. I you know, she over made the maps top. for this and everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's got all kinds of maps. <laughs> oh, if you go to her website, katiewild.com, and it's Katie K-A-T-I, and it's Wild, W-I-L-D-E. If you go to her website, she has a cartoon, like, comic book recap where she's recapped her entire MC series. <laughs> and it's, like, drawn out like stick people. Like, she's gone through and done it. She's so creative. I love this. If you guys go and do check out her MC series, there's a bundle, and it's going to be labeled Jack and Lily. Mm-hmm. The year I read that, that was one of the best books I'd read that year and mm-hmm. I'm not into motorcycle books but she mm-hmm. was in the motorcycle group and how badass she was and I usually got like a badass hero heroine mm-hmm. I'm like save her but he was even bigger of a badass but he was like the silent type 
Mm-hmm. Like, he would kill people and nobody would know. They just find dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Like, she has an incredible – all of her MC series, all of the books are safe. There's no cheating, like, no other drama. Like, it's – they're just so pure and good. Yeah. But like I said, she has the whole series on there, and she's got, like, a bunch of different characters and all these different books, and it might feel overwhelming. So if you want to, just go on her website and look at the stick figure recap. It is hysterical. <laughs> like, it, it, it's so good. I, I chuckled when I got on her website. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is this is really on your website, Katie? Okay. <laughs> so, um, but, so this is the book bio for The Midnight Bride, the one you're going to listen to. To save her family from a tyrant king, Mara of Aramond must win a tor- must win a tournament, and she won't let anyone stop her from claiming the prize, especially not Strax, the barbarian warrior who has tormented her every day, every step of the way. But when the sorcerer's trap binds them together, Mara must decide whether Strax is her greatest enemy or everything she seeks that can only be found in the barbarian's arms. It's narrated by Cassandra Miles and Brandon Utah. So you're going to get dual, dual narrators on this, so which is super exciting. And I asked Katie, I was like, what do you want to do for your giveaway this week? She's giving away a six-month subscription to KU. Oh, nice. I know. I was like, damn, you're just going to come in with a hammer like that. So <laughs> if you're listening and you want to win six months a subscription to KU, enter this giveaway. You can go on our social media or on the website, check out the newsletter. It's all going to be clickable. It's going to say giveaway. Just click that. Awesome. So I thought that was pretty cool. I can tell you a little bit about other stuff she's got coming up and, and all that good stuff. We'll talk about that before her book plays. But um, one of the things I want to talk about today is something that happened to me today. So I have other stuff I want to discuss, but this is on the forefront of my mind. And, you know, I did a stories about it on Instagram earlier, but um, I went into, you know, I love to go to a local bookstore, the one I love to visit in Charlotte, in the major metropolis of Charlotte, one of the biggest cities in North Carolina. They have a beautiful um, uh, small bookstore. It's called Parker Books. I love it. They do not have a romance section. And when I asked, they said they they chose not to have one. They just mingled them together. And I just said, okay. And so today I had to go to the mall and pick something up. My husband has this like certain beard stuff he gets and it's only available to one store in the mall. And it's the really nice one in town. So I was excited about that. And um, so I go all the way there, but it doesn't open until 11 because of COVID. They've like, you know, mm-hmm. shortened their hours. So oh, there's I a know Barnes McDonald's and- is closing at like nine. <laughs> <laughs> of course you knew that. <laughs> But um, there's a Barnes & Noble right next to the mall. And I was like, you know what? I'll just pop in here. They have a romance section. This is great. There's, you know, I said I wasn't going to buy any more, more books in March. <laughs> and I've justified this by saying I'm going to read these books in April. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, I found a loophole, Mel. It's totally fine now. It's totally right. fine. So, <laughs> so I bought five books today. So anyways, but I go into the romance section and it is so sparse. It's like... Of all the goddamn shelves in that fucking building, it's like one little wall. Damn. It's a romance section. And Barnes and Noble, and it used to be several aisles. It used to be like maybe four or five. Now it's one small. It keeps getting smaller. Every time I go back, they've moved it further and further in the back corner, and it's getting smaller and smaller. And it flew all over me. I was so pissed off because... Number one, I know I've mentioned several times 
Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Probably one of my favorite books this year. It is so good. I wanted to get the other two books in it. And I cannot find, look all over the romance section, can't find them. I'm like, this just came out. It, it hit New York Times. The third book, she had never hit New York Times before. The third book in this here series hit New York Times for print. Nice. That's how much she, sh- I know, like fucking celebrate. Like she kicked ass with this book. So anyways, I'm like, I know they've got a fucking print copy of this. In the one of the biggest cities in North Carolina, I'm at the biggest Barnes & Noble yeah. in this town. They've got to have it. So I get the I get the woman to come over and check for me, and it's in fiction. And I was like, why is the romance book in fiction? She was like, oh, sometimes they put them over there so they'll sell. <sighs> That's Let's have a moment of silence for the death stare I gave this woman. <laughs> like, I was so pissed. And I'm going to start, I'm going to get on my little soapbox. You can hear me, like, stepping up on it. As a reader... This pisses me off. And I'll say that I am a romance reader first. We have said that from day one, you and I both. Mm -hmm. We are readers before we're authors. As an author, I hardly ever see my book in a Barnes & Noble. Or, you know, our books are Alexa Riley. We don't ever see them. I know I don't. Every now and then there'll be like one or two copies. They just, they're so, they were out in what, 2016 or something? Like they just don't keep older books around. But that aside, I don't go in there to look for my books. I go in there to see my friend's books or new releases, or I go in there because I want to find a fucking book I want to read. So as a reader, this pisses me off that my genre that I love is getting smaller and smaller. And meanwhile, fantasy has got its own new brand se- brand new section over here. Like it's not even mixed with fiction or whatever anymore. Like fantasy has its own thing. Yeah. You know, the comic book section has its own thing. History has its own thing. How many fucking true crime books do we need? You know, <laughs> like what boggles my mind is romance takes up a huge chunk of the percentage sales of books every 30%. year. It's 30%. It is 30% of the publishing industry. Romance is. So, 30%. I don't understand. This just isn't But and this in is their like, defense at the same time they say nobody's coming in and buying them. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know. And maybe that's what I said. You know, when I was doing the, my vent earlier on Instagram, I was like, I said, I know that romance readers put their money into this. I really don't know how else to, to say this. And the amount of messages that I received saying how frustrated people are in other countries, they don't even have romance sections. Even in Canada, the people are like, we don't have Barnes and Nobles up here. We can't get, they don't have romance sections. Somebody said, I got so excited when I saw Nora Roberts in the bookstore one time. Like, I know. And I'm like, are you fucking like, I have to say this romance section in Charlotte, like, and the Barnes and Noble there. I mean, one whole wall was Nora Roberts. And I'm like, so we only get three sections for every other romance author that exists. People aren't coming in to only buy this, you know, like it just. It's, uh, it's, it's that stigma so that everybody keeps putting on the romance community. Yes. And it yes. just, it sucks. Mm-hmm. They're like pushing it down. They don't want to talk about it or something like That's it's a exactly dirty him. secret. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say like, and to say like romance is 30% of the market. This isn't like there's four sections of books. This includes your, your like textbooks, yeah. religious material. This includes fiction, nonfiction, biographies, like historicals. Like you like, they break this down into like, 
20 different subsections. You know, this isn't just like, oh, well, romance is 30% and, and everything else. No, it's like, I mean, these fucking huge ass publishers. So like, Macmillan, for example, is a huge publisher that publishes every textbook in every college in America. They have a publishing house called Entangled. They have a publishing house, especially for romance, because they produce that many goddamn romances. Like, Karina Press is its own. It's the subsidiary of what, Harlequin? Is that right? So, like, Harlequin even has romance publishing houses within their publishing house (laughs) because there's so many fucking romance books being published. And this is traditional publishers. This isn't even people, like, as an indie author, you can absolutely have your books in Barnes & Noble. I wonder if that would be something interesting if we could track somebody down and ask them. I'd, I'd fucking love to know why. And and honestly, it's buyers. And, and it's the people who, and you know this when we talked with our publisher too. The reason, one of the big reasons we went with Karina Press when we did everything for her, when we published that, is because they were able to have a bigger seat at the table when they went to places like Target and Walmart and Barnes and & Noble. They get a higher percentage of books to that so like if if because they're a smaller publishing house and they only have let's say they have like four or five really big authors with new releases coming out so they're going to push those four or five authors where if you're an author and you go to let's say you go to harlequin or berkeley or penguin you know if you go to little brown those are huge publishing houses that are going to be bringing 50 authors with them to the table to walmart when Karina's bringing three. So when Karina's pushing for print and, you know, Penguin's pushing for print, you're going to get more authors print books in Walmart because they have less authors to compete with. Yeah. So that's like the technical aspect of it. It's the people that buy the books for Walmart and Barnes and Noble and those kind of things. They're the ones that are in charge of supplying the demand. So it's, you know, what baffles me, too, is that there's only two, I think I think it's two, book, two brick-and-mortar stores that only sell romance books. One of them is the Rip Bodice that's in Los Angeles. And there's, someone told me there's another one on the East Coast, but I don't remember the name of it. If you know, send me an email. I'll shout them out. But, um, you know, that really, like, how, I, can't, I don't know. I, I cannot imagine that romance readers don't want to buy print books. Because every fucking romance reader I know buys a print book. I'm sorry. I'm no, it just makes me off. sad. You're angry. Yeah, I'm sad. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, and the thing too, like I said, if you're an indie author, you can have your books in Barnes & Noble. You have to go through, there's a, a couple of different print options. There's one print option through Amazon where you can do it. Or what is it, like Create Space? Is that it? Like or crate space. No, I can't remember that. No, if you want to put your paperbacks on Barnes and Noble, you need to go it. to Barnes and Noble. If you put I your paperbacks on that on Amazon's, you're supposed to just put them on there, but you can be in KU and print, print print books everywhere, but if you want them on Barnes and Noble, you have to go to Barnes and Noble or you have to go to a distributor who put them all Ingram out. Sparks. That's it. Ingram Sparks is a distributor. So you can upload and Amazon will buy from Ingram Ingram Sparks. Now there's there's pros and cons to Ingram Sparks. Their quality sucks. Like their payment schedule sucks too. But um but if you're determined to have your print books in a store, you can do that through Ingram Sparks. And what you have to do on that option is you have to say that your books are returnable. 
So when you upload your books to Ingram Sparks, Barnes Noble will buy, let's say they buy 100. If they only sell four copies, they're going to send those books back or Ingram's or they're going to shred them. They're going to just put them to like mulch. And then but Ingram Sparks will still charge you for what they bought. So it's really shady. There's a lot of shit behind the scenes. So but I'm just saying if that's something that's really important to an author, there's a way to do it. And if you want to like get into a a, like a book signing or whatever, even if you're an indie author without going through a traditional publisher. Yeah, I would want to note again, just so we're clear. And if your books are NKU, it's only for digital books. So you can take those books in print and put them anywhere you want and you're fine. Yeah. 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 It's just exclusive to digital and KU. But, you know, so that's just, I would really love to know. And that's what the easy answer is. Well, nobody buys them, so they don't supply them in the store. I don't buy them because they're not in the fucking store. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's how I feel about it. I never bought a store and came out empty handed. You're absolutely right. Except maybe and you did every, today. No, I'm just <laughs> no, I did. I definitely bought five books. <laughs> but like, it was it was so infuriating. Like, what is it? Is and um, I'm probably saying this wrong. I think it's Helena Hong, the one that did the bride t- or the um the kiss quotient. Do you know? Do you, I know you've heard of that book? It was like really huge. It was one of the first ones to do the cartoon covers, and so that book was fucking huge. It was like number one New York Times. Da da da. They have a brand new cover that just came out and it has an Asian man on it. And I remember like she posted it up on Instagram like a week ago. And she said, this is the, to my knowledge is the first time this cover has ever had an Asian man on it. Like it's like a photo, you know, it's not like a cartoon. And so I was like, that's really awesome. I've always wanted to read this book. I've heard so many great things. The heroine in the book has, I think it's like, um, she's autistic or something like that. And so she wants to get with a guy, but she's coming at it from like an autistic perspective. So she's like looking at it like it's science. Yeah. And so it's like the Kish quotient is like she's trying to do the math on on how this works and emotions and feelings <laughs> and, you know, falling in love. So there's like all these different aspects. And I just thought that would be a really cool read. And um, and I was going to get it with a new cover, but they only had one copy of it. And I'm like, this is one of the like most popular romance books right now. And seriously, you don't have it. Like even one copy, but please let's have seventy five Nora Roberts that have been out since the eighties. Okay, but like even Kerrigan Byrne, she had one care. They had one Kerrigan Byrne, yeah. and she's got you know multiple books. I bought um the Millivane had a had a book there had one, you know I, I just it's so Tessa Bailey had one book. I was like, how? How is this? It just, it it boggles my mind. I don't know. And you know, like, I shouldn't get upset about this. Like, I should be used to it. But as a romance reader, I get pissed off. Yeah. Because I know the the small bookstore that I go to doesn't carry hardly anything. And if they do, it's just mixed amongst the other ones. It's just, it's an afterthought. You know, when we went to San Francisco, was it like two years ago? There was this really old bookstore there that was beautiful, and it's huge. Even for San Francisco standards, there's like an upstairs and downstairs and all this stuff, and we go all over the store like twice, and I come back to the counter, and I was like, hey, I'm sorry, do you have a romance section? And the guy's like, no, like laughs at me. And I was like, so that's a choice. And he was like, yeah, like I was being ridiculous. And, and, say, just, and he says it with his stupid laugh. Like, yeah. It's like, it's such a snod, like, behavior towards, 
I don't get it. And you know that motherfucker's buying porn. Yeah, And watching exactly. it on his phone and computer. Yep. yep. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I know, but you want to see the books I got? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, my hoops are all tangled up now. <laughs> Sorry. I thought I left them out, but I didn't. So I got... Kerrigan Burns, all hot, all Scott and bothered, because this is this is my favorite book she's written. I think to date, this is the one with the the big heroine that everybody's like scandalized at how big she is. She keeps eating and stuff all the time. And, oh my god, it's so fucking good. I can't stand it. And then I got both of the Talia Hibbert books. The this I have the first one, and the second one is Take a Hint, Danny Brown, and the third one is Act Your Age, Eve Brown. Which is the Brown Sister trilogy. The actor age, Eve Brown, that's the one that hit New York Times for print. That's awesome. Like, how fucking awesome is this? Yeah. In fiction, by the way. And then I got this, too, because Katie Robert recommended this. It's the worst best man. Hold on. Can you see this cover? Yeah. Yeah. She said it was, Katie Robert was talking about today. Somebody asked for a good slow burn. And I was like, you know what? I haven't read one of those in a while. Let's. And she said, this was my favorite slow burn I read. And I don't know anything about it. That's the, that's the only thing I know. But I've seen several people that have recommended it. So You're I'm going to so go brave. for it. You're so I'm brave. Yes. If I'm going to read a book, I research it. I read like 20 reviews. I text a few people. Have you read this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think lately I'm just like, I'm not afraid to, to quit a book now. Yeah. You know, like, I think that's where I'm at the point where it's like, oh, like, if I if not, I'll share it with a friend and just be like, hey, here you go. Yeah. Like, I have a stack of books to give to a couple of friends now that I've already gone through and read because I have been sticking to my read your paperbacks, like, read the ones I have. Yeah. And I've read several and they've all been really good. So that's been nice. <laughs> so I have cleaned out like a whole new section. So I had room to get more. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm justifying this to myself. But you know, it just really sucks as a romance reader to constantly apologize you know, or feel like it's apologizing for what I want to read. And oh, I'm so sorry. I'm taking up space. Yeah. God, you know, we got to do better than this. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But if you're listening and you're in publishing, let us know why there's not more print copies in store. Is it because people don't buy it or because it's not there? Yeah, it's always. So. And I remember, I think I haven't been in my Barnes and Noble in a long time, but the romance section was like upstairs, yep, all the way in the far corner. That's exactly where this is. It's up. It used to be upstairs and in the front of the store, and now it's just gotten pushed further and further back. And now it's all the way in the back corner next to the bathroom. I didn't think of that until you were talking. I was like, yeah, it's like upstairs in that corner over there. (laughs) I'm just, I'm so irritated. I I didn't mean to make this an entire episode, but I feel like it was something that needed to be discussed. So, I don't know. It is what it is. All right. Back to Katie Wilde. Let's get to her. So, I asked her what she's got coming out next, and she says that... Katie Wilde, Ruby Dixon, and Ella Good are releasing a villain series. So look for a pre-order soon. The name of her book is called Evil Twin. And she wrote a little book bio for me to share. She said, he should have been king, but he was born four minutes too late. But when his brother's bride arrives, a princess from a neighboring kingdom, he sees his chance to claim her throne. He just has to take his brother's place in her bed. 
but his evil plan never included falling in love with the woman he planned to deceive. Oh, that sounds good. I know. That's what I said, too. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, a villain series? I love this. That's such a great idea. So. I also want to mention my absolute favorite book by Katie Wilde is Wedding Night. It's. Which one's that? I don't. It's just a good hero. Like, she's such an A-type and she does things different ways. And how he handles her. How the hero treats the heroine is just like. <gasps> What's the name of it? Uh, wedding night. He just wedding. He night? needs her to help him with something, so they're gonna get married or pretend to be married. Oh. And she's like, she's like super rich and runs a company, but she doesn't date or anything because she's just a. But she sees him of and she's not. like, okay, this could work. And he's like, you're agreeing? She's like, yes, you asked, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a print copy of hers. Um. It's the Midwinter Mail Order Bride. Mm -hmm. I have a print copy of that. So that's on my list to read this month. Yeah. So Katie said to do that. She's got that book. It's called The Evil Twin. That's going to be up for pre-order soon. And like I said earlier, she is doing a six months for free in KU. That's going to be her giveaway this week. And what is today's date? I don't have my calendar in front of me. Do we have a book out? Or we just had a book out? We just had a book out. We don't have a book out this week. so unprepared. I'm so glad this is Katie's week. I'm so unprepared. Oh, yeah. We had uh, The Jealous Grooms came out um, last Friday. So if you uh, read the groom series with us, the first one was uh, The Loyal Groom and then The um, Possessive Groom. And this is The Jealous Groom. So that one came out last Friday. So make sure you catch that in the series. So that's it. I guess we'll play the first installment of Katie's book today. So I guess that's it. I, guess. Oh, we'll I keep see thinking you guys this is going to be the end of it. We'll see you guys on the other side. All right, bye. Chapter 1. Strax the Last The day that Strax's heart was torn from his chest began as every other morning did. He awakened from dreams of morrow with his cock hardened to steel and his hand gripping his sword. Each night, sleep revealed everything he concealed while awake that his body yearned for Mara's touch as powerfully as his heart yearned to protect her. Yet Strax could not help Mara on her quest to retrieve the gauntlet of Kaides, not without betraying his sacred duty. And with his brother lost to the waves of the Ilwyn Sea, Strax was the only warrior who could see this journey through to the end and fulfill the blood obligation of his clan. So when he rose from his furs, Strax didn't cross the short distance between their camps. Instead, he broke his fast with a strip of dried venison and watched Mara stir from her own bed. First, her head emerged from the furs, and Dawn's golden light glinted off the russet strands interwoven through her long, dark hair like sparks rising through smoke. Then came her shoulders, clad only in a heavy woven tunic. A quiet moment passed wherein she sat hugging herself against the early morning chill, with her legs still covered and her blankets bunched around her waist. In the autumn and winter, she'd always leapt out of her furs fully clothed, then quickly saddled her mount. But as spring progressed, she lingered longer and longer in the warmth of her bed. 
Strax wished he could interpret Mara's delay as an invitation to join her and truly warm her bed. But the only invitation Strax was likely to receive from Mara would be an invitation to stab a sword through his head. She rarely glanced back in his direction, and when she did, no desire burned in her dark eyes. Instead, he could only see anger and distrust. Strax preferred Mara's anger and distrust to what he suspected kept her in that bed, however. In the past weeks, an invisible weight had settled upon her shoulders. Despair, perhaps, or hopelessness. It mattered not what Strax called the burden. Only its cause mattered, and that he could easily guess. Six months passed, Mara had entered the King of Araman's tournament to retrieve Kaidi's ancient gauntlet from the goddess's stone keep and return it to Araman's throne. Three dozen other contestants had joined the race, all hardened warriors, and they had all quickly outpaced her. Within a week, a full day's ride had separated Mara from the pack. Within a month, she traveled faster than she had started out, yet the distance between her and the other contestants had widened. Yet although she lagged far behind, Mara hadn't given up. Strax had seen the determination that pushed her onto the road each day at first light and kept her there until she fell exhausted into bed each night. He had witnessed her struggle through every obstacle in her path. That she could reach Kaides's keep, he had no doubt. But she wouldn't reach it before the others did. To the northeast, the skull cliffs were visible in the distance, not more than a week's ride away and Kaides's keep wasn't much farther than that. If the gauntlet could be retrieved, then one of the other contestants probably had it in his possession already. Strax would know soon, and so would Mara. There was no other road back to Aramond, so the victor had to ride in this direction to claim his prize. Their paths would soon cross. So of recent mornings, it seemed that Mara had to force herself to rise out of bed to greet a day that might bring her defeat. As if continuing on a quest she'd already lost required more effort than simply getting to her feet. Had Strax not been bound by a blood obligation to stop anyone from winning the tournament, he would have lifted her. He would have carried her. But he could not. Instead, he called out, At the speed. You move now, woman. A snail will find the gauntlet before you do. Her back stiffened. No doubt she was deciding how to respond. Moving quickly meant that his words affected her, but moving slowly proved him right. As always, she found the response that did neither. Without looking in his direction, she rose smoothly to her feet and called back, at least I am not the slug in last place, warrior. Today will be the day that I overtake you, Strax declared heartily. Then you will be last. Her dismissive scoff reached his ears, and Strax grinned. Reclining back on his elbow, he watched her dress in soft leather leggings and boots still pretending his comments hadn't prodded her along. None of her movements were rushed, 
yet she didn't linger either. Efficiently, she broke camp, much more efficiently than she had during the first days of the tournament. She had only a few possessions to gather, so different from the woman Strax had met six months before, in a coliseum in Aramond where the race had begun. He and his brother had been standing among three dozen other warriors when a noblewoman had ridden into the stadium on her fine glacian gelding, leading another horse loaded down with supplies. Her black hair was woven into a shining coronet, and her soft body was clad in silks threaded with gold. She was the most beautiful woman Strax had ever seen, and he'd assumed her presence in the Colosseum meant she must be the victor's prize, and in that moment, he'd wanted to join the tournament in truth so that he could win her. Then he'd discovered she was another contestant. Strax hadn't expected her to last a week, and he'd told her so. Yet she'd proven him wrong. After the morning when she'd spent more time packing her camp than traveling, she'd given her extra supplies and horse to a villager she encountered on the side of the road. She'd traded in her fine gelding for a sturdy mare that could better handle the grueling pace. Everything that slowed her, she left behind. Now here she was, no longer as soft and no longer in silks, but leather and furs and still the most beautiful woman he'd ever beheld. So Strax beheld her as often as he could. Only a few minutes passed before Mara mounted her mare and started down the road at a brisk clip. Strax remained where he was. At some point today, he would make a show of attempting to overtake her, but being in last place suited him. He was not here to win, so it mattered little if he tarried in bed stroking the thick length of his cock and picturing the smiling curve of Mara's lush lips. He'd seen her smile before, though it had never been aimed at him. Instead, she'd bestowed it upon his twin during those first weeks of the race. But Strax could not be jealous, because everyone smiled at Arik. Strax's brother was everything that he was not, always laughing and joking, putting both friends and strangers at ease. And unlike Strax, Arik was not last. Instead, he was simply lost. Strax's throat tightened, and a dark ache bloomed in his chest. Determinedly, he focused on Mara's lips again, and the memory of her body against his. He knew that as well. While crossing the Ilwyn Sea, a squall had nearly capsized the merchant ship carrying Strax, Arik, and Mara to the northern shore. After a wave tore Arik's hand from Strax's grip, carrying his brother into the thrashing waters, Strax had lashed a rope around Mara's waist and tied the other end around his. Then he'd held on to the mast, and from sunset to dawn, She'd clung to him as wave after wave crashed over the decks. When the storm had finally spent, they'd been battered and wet and cold. Yet Strax could still feel the comfort of Mara's hand upon his cheek. He could hear the warmth of her voice in grief and sorrow, and picture the sympathy in her eyes when he'd insisted that Arik had survived, and so he had nothing to grieve. 
Just as he did not grieve the way the warmth in her gaze became an angry fire again when he'd stated that, if not for him, she would have drowned that night. That the race was too dangerous for a woman who wasn't a warrior, and that she ought to give up and return home. When he'd said she would never win. But the storm had not been the only night he'd known the softness of her body against his. There had also been the six nights through the Norwich Pass, when the bitter cold that fell over the mountains would have killed them in their sleep, except they shared blankets and warmth and a fire. For six nights he'd barely slept, holding Mara's slumbering form tight, his cock and his heart aching for more. Strax imagined more now as he had every day since. He imagined that instead of lying stiffly with her back against his chest until her body relaxed into sleep, she had turned to face him, that she'd cradled his face in her hands and drew his mouth to hers, that he'd tasted the heat of her kiss and the sweetness of her cunt before plunging his cock deep that she'd cried out his name with every powerful thrust until she began shuddering beneath him, her luscious sheath clasping him tight as he found his own release, that he'd spilled his seed into her clenching depths and not his hand. And Strax imagined that afterward, he would not feel this great emptiness within. Instead, he would hold her and every word he said would be the words Strax wished to say, and not the words his duty demanded. But that could not be. So Strax rose from his furs, washed the spend from his hand, and checked the snares he'd set the night before. Only two rabbits, yet that would feed him well, and Mara too, if she failed to catch anything of her own this day. She would glower at him when he tossed the rabbit into her pot, and remarked upon her poor hunting skills. Yet she never refused the meat. She was proud and stubborn, but not foolish. Strax was a fool for helping her at all, but feeding her also gave him reason to visit her camp, where Mara might ask him to stay and share the meal or invite him to her bed. So a fool he would continue to be. A slow fool this morning. Despite his promise to overtake Mara, he let his mount amble at a comfortable pace through the forest road. The tournament map given to each contestant showed that he would soon come upon a crossroads marked by two stone obelisks. The sun was high overhead when he emerged from the woods and saw the obelisks standing upon a grassy mound ahead. The forest road continued east to Wintermere and the Silver Coast, and was well-traveled. The tournament route continued north, onto a road that was a rough track no wider than a game trail. Strax guided his horse onto the track, then reined the animal to a halt. The skin on the back of his neck tightened. There was a powerful enchantment here. The corrupted magic skittered over his senses like a spider bursting with venom. He could feel its presence. But because of the wards inked into his skin, the spell could not affect him. Mara had no similar protection. His stomach roiling as if he were in the midst of another storm, upon another ship that might capsize and drag him under, Strax dismounted. The source of the spell he found quickly enough, a lure and an illusion 
the runes carved into stones and faintly glowing. A spell that would have made her see or hear something that would have drawn her in. A baby crying, perhaps, or someone she loved shouting for help. Quickly, he destroyed the spell and began searching for her trail. She had not continued up the northern track. There were no new hoof prints to follow. Strax raced for the east road. There was sign of Mara here, but not only of Mara. She had been ambushed by three men, and she'd fought. Strax found her bloodied sword wedged into a clump of grass, but lost. Then she'd been taken down the east road, attacked, abducted, and he had not been here to help her. His blood obligation demanded that he not help her now, yet he did not even hesitate before leaping into his saddle and galloping down the east road. Strax had already lost his brother. He would not lose Mara, too. He tracked Mara to Wintermere, and amid the busy streets, he lost her trail. But in a city, there were always open eyes to see everything that occurred. The difficulty lay in opening mouths. Strax had been in kingdoms like Wintermere before, realms where the citizens looked at him with wary, fearful gazes. Not only because of his size or the sword he carried, but because of their courage had been starved and beaten out of them. Aramond, where the tournament had begun and where Mara was from, was such a realm. And in such places, Strax's coins did more to open mouths than the threat of his sword would. But he was willing to use both if necessary. It didn't prove to be. By the end of the day, he learned of an auction house where a foreign noblewoman was rumored to have been taken. With his last gold coin, Strax bribed the captain of the auction house's guard, claiming he wished to view the merchandise before making his bid. The ease of the transaction told Strax the captain often accepted such bribes. And indeed, they had barely entered the holding pens before the captain slyly suggested that if Strax would part with another coin, he might do more to the caged men and women than view them. Despite the rage burning in his veins, Strax did not yet draw his sword. Instead, his heart thundered as they passed every cage until he reached the final holding pen. Relief poured through him. Mara was here, curled on a pallet against the far wall, naked but for the covering of her long hair. Even with her back to them, he knew at a glance it was she. His throat knotted with sheer emotion. Lifting his chin, he indicated to the captain that this was the woman he wished to examine more closely. Eyes open and on your feet, wench. The clang of a brass cudgel against the iron bars followed the captain's command. A suitor is here to admire you. Mara didn't stir, but replied in the melodic accent common to the Western realms. Then he can admire my ass, because I have no intention of posing for two-legged swine. She believes herself too good to follow orders, which is why she's got Thaddeus's collar around her throat, the captain said to Strax before raising his voice. Wench, on your feet, or you'll be slopped with a bucket of piss. 
that was hardly a threat to a woman such as Mara. In the months since the great tournament had begun, she had suffered worse while overcoming the obstacles along the route. She had dived into a lake of putrid troll slime. She had crawled through a dragon's rotting corpse. She had swallowed a baleworm's fiery spend. Through countless challenges, she had suffered indignities greater than a bucket could ever hold. And through it all, she had endured. She had fought, and she had prevailed. Even now, she likely plotted her escape from this cage. Strax had no doubt that she would succeed, but he'd help her succeed more quickly. Does she enjoy lying abed, then? Strax asked softly and watched her spine stiffen at the sound of his voice. The captain laughed. Better if she does. After the auction, she'll be on her back often enough. No. But Strax didn't say it aloud, because Mara was getting to her feet, and her sheer beauty stole his every word, his every thought, from her small toes to the lean strength of her thighs, from the silky curls guarding her cunt to the soft handfuls of her breasts, from her full, unsmiling mouth to her dark eyes, which did not burn with anger or distrust now, which did not burn at all. Instead, Mara regarded him with a dull, hopeless gaze, as if she were utterly defeated. Pain ripped through his chest, a hot blade of agonizing grief, because he'd lost her after all. He'd tarried this morning to stroke his cock, and whatever had happened to her between then and now had doused the fire in her that he loved so desperately. The weight of that loss drowned him, crushing his heart. I can't take extra coin for this one. The captain's words sounded muffled, as if Strax heard them underwater. A virgin fetches a higher price, so she must remain untouched until the auction. Strax's agony narrowed to a sharp, burning edge. How are you certain? She's untouched. Thaddeus himself examined her, the other man said, then added with a leer. It's a pity, because me and my guards would have made good use of a beauty like her until... Strax slammed the captain's head into the iron bars, the crack of the man's skull and plop of his brains to the ground, barely registered over the sound of Mara's indrawn breath. The surprise lighting her gaze was not a fire, but it was a spark, and gladdened Strax so fiercely that he bared his teeth in a grin at the guards rushing him with their swords drawn. Strax didn't draw his own sword, preferring the satisfaction of his fists. His hands dripped with the blood of a dozen guards when he finally collected the keys from the captain's corpse. He unlocked Mara's cage and tossed the keys into the next cage, where a man stood at the bars staring at him with widened eyes. Free the others, Strax commanded. The man rushed to comply. Strax glanced back at Mara. She hadn't made a move toward the open door of her cage. Because of her nudity? He didn't believe that would stop her for even a moment. 
Yet he stripped off his own blood-stained tunic and entered her pen. As he pulled the tunic over her bowed head, Mara said in a thick voice, You needn't have gone to these lengths to overtake me today, warrior. Frowning, he tipped her chin up. Dull hopelessness still filled her eyes. Why have you not already freed yourself? You escaped the soul flayers in Black Pine, yet cannot escape a cage? She lifted her chin higher, and his gaze fell to the delicate wire twisted around her throat. Because the ruler of this realm is just like Selegius and has bound me with this collar. Selegius, the tyrant sorcerer of Aramond. Here in Wintermere, a sorcerer named Thaddeus sat on the throne. The same sorcerer who'd examined Mara to see whether she was a virgin. Strax had already planned to kill the man. Now he would kill him much, much more slowly. What does the collar do? It forces me to obey the orders of any man with a claim on me. For now, that man is Thaddeus, and he ordered me not to leave this cage until I am auctioned. Then the man who buys me will claim me however he wishes to. Not while Strax lived. And although he knew it would be impossible, he attempted to break the wire, but the fragile strand was stronger than steel. I have tried that, warrior, Mara said softly, and he could see that she had. Livid red marked her skin where she had scratched and pulled at the wire. Only someone with power over the collar can remove it. Only a man who'd claimed her. Jaw clenched, Strax nodded, and then tossed her slight form up over his shoulder. She couldn't voluntarily leave, so he would carry her out. Yet the moment he stepped through the door, she began thrashing and choking. Immediately he returned her to the cage, where she gasped for air. A new red mark around her throat showed where the collar had constricted and strangled her his own throat feeling as if he'd been garroted. Strax set her down. Voice hoarse, he told her, I'll return for you. He didn't know which hurt worse, having to leave Mara alone, or how clearly she didn't believe that he would come back for her. A sad smile curved her mouth. Thank you for trying, warrior. He'd do more than try. Yet saying so would mean nothing to her, because she trusted his words not at all. Only actions mattered now. Silently, Strax pressed a dagger into her hand so that she could defend herself while he was gone. When he returned, she would never need to protect herself again. But the dagger was not all Strax gave her, because Mara might not know it, but his torn and bloodied heart now also lay in her hands, and he would never again be free unless she was, which meant he must kill a king. Chapter Two Mara the Defeated I cannot give up now. I cannot give up now. I cannot give up now. The five words were a chant in Mara's head, echoed by the silent movement of her lips. 
If she had been a sorcerer, those words might have had more power. But she was only a woman with no power except for her courage and her will. Courage and will had gotten her this far, however, so they would also get her out of this cage. She only needed to imagine a way to escape. In the past six months, Mara had overcome every obstacle in her path. She could now too, though her current imprisonment was not part of the tournament. At the crossroads, when she'd heard her mother calling for help, then her younger brothers and sisters screaming, Mara had believed it was yet another danger for the contestants to battle. But it had only been a trap, set by a sorcerer tyrant who filled his treasury by trading in human flesh. The collar circling her neck was cold to the touch, yet still seemed to burn her skin. Had it been a shackle around her wrist, she would have used Strack's dagger to cut off her hand. But cutting off her own head wasn't so easy. More likely, she would need to cut off someone else's head, because the more she considered her options, it seemed only one remained. The caller would force her to submit to an auction and to endure whatever horrors befell her afterward. So her only choice was to bide her time, waiting for an opportunity to kill the man who bought her and then escape. But time was the one thing Mara did not have, if another contestant returned to Aramond with the gauntlet and won the tournament, everyone Mara had ever known and loved would die. So she could not give up now, no matter how tired and lonely she was, no matter how her heart ached with despair and fear. It ached more fiercely since Strax had left her. She had no hope he would return. In truth, she wasn't certain he'd really ever come, when Mara first heard his voice speaking to the captain of the guard, she'd believed she was dreaming, or in a nightmare. For six months, Strax had been the bane of her existence. The barbarian rarely opened his mouth, yet whenever he did, it was only to insult her. To say that she was not clever enough or strong enough to win the tournament, that she was not fast enough. And he was not wrong. Every other warrior competing in this tournament was far ahead, all but one. Almost from the beginning, Strax had trailed her, sometimes within sight, sometimes a day or two behind, but always following. And despite his insults, Mara had comforted herself with the knowledge that she wasn't in last place. But that was no longer true. When she'd been captured, the misery of being caged and collared had been enough to bear. That the barbarian wasn't here to witness her humiliation and defeat had been her only consolation. Then he'd come. Yet to her astonishment, he hadn't humiliated her or insulted her further. And if she hadn't been clutching his dagger in her hand, she'd have believed his appearance had been yet another sorcerer's illusion, a spell designed to show her the Strax that she'd always wished he would be. A warrior who helped her. A warrior who so gently touched her face. A warrior who looked at her with concern and warmth instead of doubt and disdain. If his presence had been a spell, it would have been a cruel illusion indeed. To have Strax suddenly be everything she wished he was and then watch him leave but she could not blame Strax for going. 
Only powerful magic could defeat this caller. And why would he risk everything, the tournament or his life, trying to save a woman he always mocked and insulted? Of course, he would not. So Strax had abandoned Mara here with a confusing mix of gratitude and despair roiling within her heart, and a dagger that she might soon need to use. All of the other prisoners had fled the auction house. For almost an hour, Mara's only company had been the bloodied corpses outside her cell. Yet she could hear someone approaching now, and her cage door was unlocked, offering her no protection. Her grip tightened on the dagger. Heart pounding, she debated whether to hide, curling herself out of sight in the corner of her cage. But Mara had never been one to run and hide. So she stood in the middle of her cell, eyes narrowed down the length of the dim passageway. For a moment, she didn't recognize the enormous figure who came out of the shadows. And when she did recognize him, it took another moment to believe he was there. Strax. Yet as she'd never seen him before, nearly every inch of his skin painted crimson with blood. He'd always been a huge barbaric figure, his black hair carelessly tied back in a strip of leather. Now the strands hung around his face, dripping with gore. And she'd seen him many times without a tunic. He hadn't even begun wearing one until the weather had grown so cold that ice covered the puddles in the road each morning. Yet he'd never appeared so terrifyingly strong until this moment. His sinewy muscles like sculpted granite, and his stride, the smooth prowl of a panther's, gripping his sword in one hand and a man's head in the other. With dropped jaw, she watched him toss the head into her piss bucket. But not before she saw the death-slackened face. The head belonged to the ruler of Wintermere, Thaddeus the sorcerer, whose collar circled her neck, and who'd forced her legs open to confirm whether she was a virgin. She'd wished Thaddeus dead then. But he'd been surrounded by guards and resided in the fortress at the center of the city. And with a few words, his magic could have killed her. Now his head was in her bucket, and Mara was only sorry that she hadn't shit in it yet. Yet that head meant Strax must have fought his way into the fortress, he must have defeated Thaddeus's guards before defeating the sorcerer himself, and he must have done it alone. She could hardly comprehend the skill and power the barbarian must have. Never had he shown it before. Such a warrior shouldn't have been in last place in any tournament. He should have been leading the pack. Yet he'd trailed behind them all. Why? She tipped her head back, keeping her gaze on Strax's face as he came nearer. Never had he seemed so big, yet he was also never so close. His bloodied fingers tipped her chin higher. A frown darkened his features when he still could not break the collar's thin wire. The sorcerer would not remove the spell or give me claim over you, he said in a deep guttural scowl. How such a barren wasteland grew such powerful warriors, Mara knew not. Yet both he and his twin brother were larger and stronger than any other warriors who had joined the tournament. So you killed him? Because a spell often died with a sorcerer, but this spell had not. This magic resides in the collar, so I must claim you before I can break it. 
Do you have enough gold to buy me at the auction, warrior? Mara might have had enough, but her purse had been taken by the villains who'd ambushed her, along with her horse. She had nothing now but her tunic and dagger, both of which Strax had given her. There is not enough gold in the world to buy a woman of your worth. His jaw hardened, and his fingers slipped from her neck. Yet she could still feel the sticky warmth of the bloodied marks he left. I will return again. She stared after him. This must be an illusion of some sort, or a trick. A woman of her worth? Mara could not count the number of times he'd implied she was worthless. So this time, she believed he would return, yet she was also wary. Because she didn't understand him at all, or this attempt to free her, what purpose could it have? Not to help her, because in six months, he hadn't helped her. He'd only said over and over again that she was bound to fail, so she couldn't trust that he truly meant to help her now. At midnight, Strax returned, no longer covered in blood, and no longer alone. With him was a thin, bald man in dark robes and wide, terrified eyes. Strax shoved the trembling man into the cage. This magistrate can marry us. Had the barbarian gone completely mad? Strax's eyes seemed to burn with an unholy feverish fire as they settled on Mara, and that look sent shivers racing over her skin. Certain she'd misunderstood, Mara shook her head. You want him to marry us? A husband has a claim on his wife. No magic can deny that. Mara couldn't refute that truth. Yet still, why would he do this? It made no sense at all. Her chest tight, she told him. You understand, warrior, that I am from Aramond. I am not from a kingdom such as Savadon or Galoth, where they marry on a whim and untie their wedding ribbon when marriage no longer suits them. You'll always be bound to me. That fire in his eyes flared brighter. And I am from the Deadlands. Nothing will let a warrior separate him from his wife. So you will always be bound to me. Heart pounding so hard, she was almost dizzy with it. She looked to the magistrate. You have the red ribbon? The man held up the length of crimson silk in his shaking fingers. So they had all that was needed, except an explanation. With emotion clogging her throat, Mara met Strax's gaze again. I will do anything to be free, so I will marry you, she told him, but held up her hand when he stepped forward with a fierce light on his expression. But I need to know why you are marrying me. Because I love you, he said gruffly, and Mara wished that she hadn't asked. She would rather be given no answer than to be given a lie. Yet she had not lied. She'd do anything to continue her quest to win the gauntlet. Even marry a man she could not trust to tell the truth, who thought she was weak and stupid and who insulted her at every turn. With a sickly pain in her heart, Mara stepped closer to Strax and nodded to the magistrate. She raised her hand, and as Strax placed his huge palm against hers, she could hardly bear to look at him. And she wondered what else he'd lied about. As the magistrate weaved the ribbon between their fingers, she asked, 
Do you swear you'll free me from this collar the moment we are married? Because as soon as he had a claim on her, Strax's power over her would be absolute. He could order her to do anything, and Mara would have to obey. Perhaps his declaration of love was simply a ruse so that he could control her, or humiliate her, or worse. I will, he vowed, and the pain in Mara's heart grew, because she still couldn't trust his word, though she wanted nothing more than to trust it. She wanted to believe in the devotion deepening his voice and the steady darkness of his eyes. So as the magistrate finished winding the ribbon between their fingers, with her other hand, Mara raised her dagger to Strack's muscled throat and pressed the sharpened point into the only soft spot he seemed to have, where a pulse drummed visibly in the thick column of his neck. After our vows are spoken, if any command issues from your lips except the words to free me, they will be the last you ever utter. You think I will order you onto your back and your thighs to spread? Command you to come with every thrust of my cock? Eyes narrowed. Strax slowly shook his head, not seeming to care that the movement drew drops of blood from where she held the blade against his skin. I need no magic to make my woman come, Mara. The pleasure I'll give you will be no illusion. Heat flared beneath her skin at the thought of it, yet she still couldn't trust that he meant a word. I want nothing from you except my freedom, she declared hotly. And because Strax had made her a liar now, too, she snapped at the magistrate. Begin. The magistrate stammered. But we, we have no witnesses. Strax's foot lashed out. The bucket flew, and Thaddeus's head bounced against the iron bars before rolling to a stop with empty eyes staring at them and dripping yellow tears. Your king himself bears witness. Begin. Fear blanched the magistrate's face. With shaking hands, he lifted the two ends of the ribbon. Ah, uh, the bride. You are called? Lady Maraseret Iktarin of Aramond. After repeating her name, the magistrate asked, Do you pledge yourself to this man and swear to be his faithful wife? I will, she promised, holding her dagger ready to slit Strax's throat. And you? Strax, he said in a thick voice. Keeper of the sacred oath. Son of the Fang Clan of the Deadlands, I pledge myself to this woman and vow to be her faithful husband. Then you're now bound together, the magistrate said, nodding the ends of the ribbon. Upon a kiss that seals your vows, you will be wife and husband. Mara didn't move, her right hand tied to his and her left hand holding the blade at his throat. Slowly, she relaxed her wrist, allowing Strax to bend his head toward hers, yet never letting even a hair of space between her dagger and his skin. Her breath trembled wildly as he gently tilted up her chin. His gaze smoldered, dark and hot, and seemed to ignite an answering fire within her. She shut her eyes, but couldn't shut out the pulse thundering in her ears. The gentle pressure of his strong fingers, the warmth of his breath whispering over her lips. 
Then his firm mouth claimed hers, and that was enough. It should have been enough. Even a touch of lips was a kiss. So they were married now. But instead of backing away, Strax pushed closer. His big hand cradled the back of her neck as he tasted and teased. And when her lips parted, it was only to remind him that he would die if he betrayed her. Yet she couldn't speak, because his tongue slipped over hers, and an emotion wild and sweet swept into her with that lick. A hunger for more of this, not just a kiss, but the way Strax made her feel, the way he touched her now, as if he truly did love her. But how could she believe that? How? With burning eyes and racing heart, she turned her face from his, but she couldn't pull away. His hand still clasped her nape, and the wedding ribbon had to remain tied until dawn. Free me now, she whispered, or I will kill you. His reply was a harsh rasp against her ear. You are already free, wife. In astonishment, Mara brought her beribboned fingers to her neck, bringing his bound hand with hers. The collar was gone. She hadn't even felt him remove it during the kiss. Now the horrid thing lay at her feet, nothing but a useless, twisted wire. Her wondering gaze flew to Strax's face and only encountered his strong profile as he looked to the magistrate. You'll find your payment of a gold coin in that dead captain's purse, he said. Then Mara gave a startled gasp when the barbarian abruptly spun her around and swept her up to cradle her against his broad chest. Let us attempt this again. Leaving the cage, Mara held her breath as he carried her through. But of course, the collar could not strangle her because he'd freed her. Now her new husband held her while he strode out of the auction house, one steely arm supporting her knees and the other behind her back. Because of their bound hands, there was no point in demanding that he put her down. One of them would have to walk backward. Yet he could carry her as long as she held her arm crossed over her chest. Mara didn't glance at any of the carnage they passed, the bodies of the guards littering the floor. She only looked at Strax. Such a strange, warm hope filled her chest that she couldn't have spoken even if she wished to. He'd come to Wintermere to help her. He'd killed a sorcerer king to save her, and then he'd freed her. Perhaps he might help her win this tournament too. And perhaps she could truly trust him. Never had she wanted anything so much. Outside, the entire city seemed in uproar. From every direction came the sound of citizens in riot. Because Strax had killed a tyrant, and he'd freed more than Mara in doing so. Yet he seemed utterly unaffected by the fighting around them. He carried her as if through a spring meadow, and another astonishment awaited Mara when they reached his horse, because tied next to his mount was her mare. Where did you find her? She asked in wonder as he lifted her onto his gelding, which she didn't protest because they couldn't ride different horses with their hands tied. When I tracked down the men who ambushed you. Easily he leapt up behind her. The fingers of their beribboned hand entwined, his arm around her waist. He pulled her back snug against his hard chest, holding her securely. 
But aside from your saddle and horse, your belongings were already sold. Do you wish to look for them now? For her furs and clothes and gold? No, Mara said. They would waste valuable time searching, and she hardly needed those things now. Her legs were bare from mid-thigh to toes, yet never had she felt so safe, so warm as with Strax holding her. And it was becoming harder to tell herself that his actions tonight had been a trick of some sort. Yet nothing about him made sense, not after what he'd done here. As they rode toward the city gate, one clear answer occurred to her. You never intended to win the tournament, did you? No, he replied gruffly. Are you a final obstacle? Something the contestants must overcome after they've retrieved the gauntlet? Which would explain why he was in last place. Anyone returning to Aramond would have to pass him, and would have to defeat him. Would he allow her to pass him? He was her husband now, and he'd risked so much to save her. Perhaps he'd help her save everyone else she loved too. I am not an obstacle his voice deepened. I am bound by a blood oath to never let a sorcerer such as Solegius of Aramond possess the gauntlet, and I will destroy anyone who attempts to give it to him. The hope growing in Mara's chest withered into a painful poisoned lump. A blood oath. If Strax betrayed it, not only would he die, but so would all of his clan. So she didn't respond. As they rode out of the city, she stared blindly ahead. And all that lived inside her now was misery and despair. Her husband held her in his arms, his warm breath stirred her hair, yet she felt utterly alone again. Strax must have been more wary in the city than he'd appeared, because once they were away from the chaos, tension eased from the warrior's muscles. Quietly, he asked her, did you join the tournament to win the prize? If it is gold you seek, my wife, I will find riches for you elsewhere. I have riches, she told him, and her voice was thick with unshed tears. So Legius has imprisoned my family and enslaved everyone under our protection. If I do not return with the gauntlet, he'll kill them all. Strax stiffened behind her. For an endless time, the barbarian didn't speak, and when he finally did, it sounded as if he choked on every word. I cannot let you give the gauntlet to him. His declaration pierced Mara's heart like a dagger. We must be enemies then. No, Strax denied roughly, his arm tightening and holding her closer. You are my wife. And if you try to stop me from winning... I'll soon be a widow. You cannot win. So you return to insults again. I will win. No longer unshed, hot tears spilled silently down her cheeks. Perhaps you don't believe I am capable, warrior, but I've proven you wrong over and over again. I will prove you wrong this time, too. And if you stand in my way, I will kill you. I know you are capable, he snarled. But I cannot let, I cannot. His voice seemed to strangle itself, and his hand rose to her face. She tried to turn away, to conceal this from him. Yet he found the evidence of her pain. Shed more tears, Mara, 
he said bleakly. And you kill me easily. So he claimed. Yet Strax seemed strong enough as her tears continued to fall, holding her so tight that she could almost believe he was a warrior who would help her, protect her, love her. It was only another illusion, a dream that would disappear at dawn. But for a little while, Mara allowed herself to dream that he was everything she'd ever wanted him to be. And she dreamt it until she fell asleep in his arms. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for joining us. You guys will get the next part on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Until then, make sure you follow us on social media and enter that giveaway. Look out for the newsletter and the new releases. And also we have spring shirts. If you are looking to spice up your wardrobe this spring season <laughs> with your favorite podcast. So do that. Follow us everywhere. And I guess that's it. We'll see you on Thursday. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book, that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind. And read me romance. Read, read me romance.